Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. everyone. Welcome to Florida Organic Growers Podcast Fresh Take. I'm Kendra Love with the podcast and I'm very happy to be hosting today. Today we have a very interesting topic. Uh, We're going to be talking about gardening in summer in Florida and we're going to give you some tips about how to keep your plants alive in summer, uh, which we know can sometimes be a little bit hard to do. I would like to welcome back our guest, Juan Carlos Rodriguez, who works with Florida Organic Growers and has a lot of experience assisting farmers and has also managed a farmer's market. And Juan Carlos, would you tell us a little bit uh, about what got you interested in gardening? Sure, absolutely. Thank you for having me back, Kendra. I did not grow up in a family that even, you know, had a farm or had a lot of space to grow a vegetable garden. My dad, however, loves and loves plants. He's always said that, you know, he dreams of having a small farm. It still hasn't happened, but we have not lost hope. And of course, uh, the idea of trying to grow things has always been something that we enjoy. So in terms of gardening right now, because I live in a small apartment, there's not really a lot of space to grow things in a raised bed or even in the small bit of soil that I have in my backyard. And the one thing that uh, we'll discuss today is uh, what is the ideal place to start a garden? But in terms of just herbs and some of the other things that you can grow in pots, yes, I'm always trying to do that as best as I can. I definitely uh, am in the same situation. I'm also in an apartment and I find that gardening on my small balcony can somewhat be a little bit challenging at times. So I'm excited to hear what tips you have in order to, you know, kind of garden both in indoor spaces and and possibly outdoor spaces as well. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be good just to let the listeners know you're a beginner to starting a garden, or maybe you are a little bit familiar, but you're not really sure about gardening in summer. What are some tips that you can give on how to start a garden? Well, I think the first thing, you need to start with a plan. I think it's useful to have even something that you can write down and say, I think I'm going to try to grow this, that, and the other. And if you're not really sure whether or not that you know, grows well in the summer, then there's a lot of resources that you can find. Of course, here in Florida, we always you know, remind people that they can go to the um, you know, University of Florida, the various extension websites, or maybe even their local offices, depending on where you are in the state, to obtain more information about who, what grows well in your region. So in terms of recommendation, that would be one. Write down the crops that you think that you want to grow, then know where in the state things grow better. The one thing, and we know this is why we're having this podcast today, this is the Sunshine State. So for a lot of our other listeners that don't live in Florida, If there's one thing that we 
get plenty of is sun. Uh, so especially in the summer and the temperatures can be quite high. And so is the humidity, especially this is for beginning gardeners. Of course, I think people who have had gardens before know that cool season vegetables, you know, collars that even though they could probably withstand some really high temperatures, the problem is that they also crops um, don't really have to, we don't really have to worry just about how well they're going to grow, but you know, the, with the summer come pests and diseases. So that's the other thing that happens when you're growing in the summer. It's just so, you know, uh, such a good conditions for many other problems that you're going to run into. That's, that's really helpful, Juan Carlos. Do you have any, any crops that you can recommend for the specific regions, whether it be north, central, or south, some of those edible plants or even flowers or edible flowers, some things that do really well in the summer here in Florida. Right. Absolutely. And so with that question, you know, I've had experience growing things, personal experience growing things in the summer for research purposes. You know, while I was a student at the University of Florida and at other times when we were looking, growing things in the summer. I also managed a uh, farmer's market here in North Florida, in Gainesville. And interestingly enough, the farmers that, you know, were part of our farmer's market would generally by sometime June and July would, you know, just take a break. They've had a really long season, of course, and keeping most of the crops that they would, you know, traditionally bring to the market, which is not possible or feasible anymore. Now we're talking about farmers who obviously, you know, they're doing most of them this for, living. So it's hard. It's very, very hard. In terms of it, since we are just jumping right on the discussion of what would grow well, things like beans, a lot of you know bean varieties grow pretty well in the different zones, North, Central, and South Florida. Eggplant is another crop that does fairly well. Of course, most people probably know that okra is really good at regardless of you know where you're at in the state and some of it you know really will depend what it is, is it that you're you know like to eat or maybe even just like to keep you know some plants are very pretty they have pretty flowers it's something that is just as enjoyable as eating the actual crop peppers for example is another one of those crops that can do fairly well in our summers regardless of whether you're in the north central or south part of the state. Sweet potatoes, of course, is another crop that I can think of that grows fairly well. And the one that most people immediately think of when they think about summer is uh, watermelons. So, so you can also grow watermelons fairly well in the summer. Yeah, I'm always interested in what kinds of things will do well uh, on my balcony, actually. I still, I still have some tomatoes out there. They're surviving, but I don't know how long that's going to last. So <laughs> interestingly enough about tomatoes, Kendra, yes, they can do well, but when the summer temperatures, especially night temperatures are really, really high, then your fruit is not going to set. That tomato won't really develop or set fruit because that's the other thing that, you know, temperatures, humidity, water, getting, you know, plenty of water, sun, a balcony that doesn't really have enough sunlight throughout the day, six minimum hours, especially for things like tomatoes, it's just not going to do well. 
And so that's the other thing that, you know, people need to keep in mind when, when trying to, you know, grow certain crops, tomatoes being one of them. And I know that some publications and some resources out there says that you can grow them. Yeah, you can. But again, as we get into the really, really, you know, hot part of the summer, uh, you're going to run into some of those, of those, of those problems. And of course, pests and diseases just become, you know, more prevalent as well. Right, right. Well, actually, that brings up a question, which is, you know, are there certain plants that would maybe best be grown indoors as opposed to outdoors? I know you were saying, you know, sometimes the balcony may or may not be the best place depending on on sunlight. Are there any differences that you could maybe uh, tell us about when it comes to, you know, plants to, to grow outside versus inside? Correct. So with that, and both and I, you and I can relate, as we were saying, living in a, pl- a place where you don't actually have a lot of soil <laughs> in, or, or maybe even a backyard where you can actually you know, have a raised bed, but you're, you're going to be limited to growing things in pots. Herbs, as we know, can be easily grown in small pots. So that's one thing that you can certainly keep inside. You can even you know, keep it in, in your apartment. You know, if the temperatures are adequate for growing herbs, still it needs to be a place where, you know, they're going to get sunlight or enough sunlight to grow them. Um, so, so herbs is one thing that I would obviously recommend if you just want to keep plants and grow them in pots. Tomatoes could probably be, uh, and I say probably, but actually, you know, if you grow them, which you can in a pot, you have to obviously choose the right variety of tomatoes because anyone who's grown a tomato knows that it is a vine. So it'll grow a lot. And so if it's a place where we'll get plenty of sunlight and it's not going to be outside, but it'll be, you know, nice and cozy, you know, the temperature that you keep inside your apartment, it, it could do fairly well. But again, the temperature is, is important. The other thing with some of these crops, as I think about it, is that you also need, you know, pollinators because a lot of the crops that we're talking about and that I've recommended does require pollinators to have the fruit set. Tomatoes is one of those things that, that, you know, if you don't have, if you're keeping it inside, it's going to be very difficult for it to set fruit, even if it's got the perfect temperature in sunlight, right? So that's the other mm-hmm. thing that people should also take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in those cases, what would you recommend? People did want to grow plants like tomatoes that do require pollinators? Well, one of the things that I did, and you know, when we're doing research, I mean, there are ways that you can actually hand pollinate certain crops. You can shake the plants, tomatoes being one of them, just a little very gentle while you're inspecting your plant, make sure that it you know, doesn't have any diseases or, or, or pests even, even if it's you know, in your balcony, can you know, move that pollen around a bit. In fact, people that com- grow tomatoes commercially, you know, I-, I remember being in greenhouses, large greenhouses that had hand pollinators, and they would just move that pollen, and that would be enough to have fruit set. Now, I'm talking about commercial productions, of course, many, many, many plants. It was never, there's nothing that can replace pollinators, of course, but if it's just for the purpose of having a plant or two of tomatoes and setting some fruit and enjoying those tomatoes, you know, you can, you can just, I guess, like I said, hand pollinate just very gently every day, sort of, you know, touch the plant, make sure that there's some of that pollen moving around so you can, you can set some of the fruit. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's, that's helpful to know, because there are plants that we hope that we can still grow, even if we don't have a lot of pollinators in our area. I know some people live in apartments. Um, yeah. That might be even quite high up, like our apartment is quite high, so we don't really get to see very many bees and Correct. pollinators. And, and that's why, you know, the, some of the ones that we talked about earlier that don't really require a lot of pollination is something to also consider getting back to uh, starting that list. Go to your local extension office, search online for your location, see what grows well. And start finding out a little bit about some of the things that we're discussing. Pest diseases, does it require pollination? How much light does it require? The soil was something that you just mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. That is also very important, especially if you're going to be growing in pots. If you're growing in a raised bed outside of your home or apartment, hot, humid summers, sandy soils, you need to water a little bit more often, of course, right? But if you select, if you're choosing soils that you can buy at your local feed and supply store, find a soil that retains water well, but also does not sort of overly maintain that moisture, because that's the other thing that any person who has plants often does is that either they overwater or they don't water at all. Yeah. Overwatering can be just as bad as not watering, <laughs> right? If those if those roots are sitting, especially if they're in a pot you know, in water all the time. They're not hydroponic plants. Some of these are not. And so that doesn't mean that they, they're going to grow well, especially a lot of the stuff, the crops that we're talking about in, in water. Your soil in that sense, you know, needs good aeration, meaning, you know, pores, large pores where the, the roots are not going to be just soaked with water all the time. Mm-hmm. Could you actually talk a little bit about the difference between plants that are in soil versus growing soilless because mm-hmm. I know that's kind of a maybe even a hot trend right now. A lot of people, um, it looks pretty to just grow your plants um, in yeah. water uh, yeah. and not have that soil. But do plants still still do as well, or do you think that using the soil is better for the plants? Can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, absolutely, and that is something that, as I was mentioning uh, as a student, uh, that was part of the research work that I was doing is growing things in soilless media, you know, things like pine bark in Florida, which is abundant. Other, so other types of substrates, perlite uh, is one that is very common to have in greenhouses, you know, commercial greenhouses. And I'm, I'm guessing that some of our listeners probably recognize some of those words, perlite, pine bark, peat, vermiculite. Those are all inert materials for the most part, meaning that they don't have a lot of nutrients. That is one difference between growing things in a soilless media compared to growing directly in the soil, despite the fact that, you know, most of our soils throughout the state are, you know, sandy soils and not a lot of nutrients often, there's still nutrients in that soil. When you're getting a substrate media soil that you buy in a bag, that may or may not be, depending on what you're buying, have the right amount of nutrients for the plant. So that's, that's one of the differences that I would say, main differences between growing something directly in the soil compared to growing them in a soilless media. So that means that you also going to have to add you know, nutrients, some sort of nutrients. Now we get into the conversation of, so what should I add and how should I add it to plants? 
for those people that listen often and want to grow organic, the conversation about, well, what's the difference and what should I use if I want to be an organic gardener compared to someone who doesn't really want to grow organic vegetables, but just wants to grow vegetables, which is fine because now you can use some of the synthetic fertilizers as they're often known compared to organic that uh, are natural, non-synthetic form. So yeah, so those are some of the main differences that I can think about between growing directly in your soil and then growing in a soilless media. If we want to start a garden, the most important thing is those seeds or those seedlings. And um, so once we have our plan and we know what we want to grow, then we go to the store and pick out either seeds or seedlings. Um, But sometimes, and I don't know if others get, you know, have the same question, but sometimes uh, there's so many different labels. There's organic, non-GMO, you know, hybrid, heirloom. And sometimes it can be a little bit confusing to know, you know, what is the difference between those? Um, Would you maybe explain a little bit about that? Those differences? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. In terms of the differences between all these labels and things that people see often when trying to buy either seeds or seedlings. Organic, let's start with that one. Organic means that way that the plant was produced to generate that seed is compliant with the natural organic standards. And just to summarize quickly, that means that the plant and the seed was produced without synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. That's what that means. Okay. So no synthetic pesticides, no synthetic fertilizers. Of course, there's so many other requirements, but that is one of the main things, and especially people, again, who are organic gardeners know that they cannot use anything that would be considered synthetic or that is prohibited. It's also by just the requirement, organic cannot be a genetically modified crop. Okay. So if you wanted to grow sweet corn or some type of corn, and, and that's the one that most people would often think, oh, there's genetically modified corn. Yes. So uh, if you're growing organic corn, it's by definition, you know, non-GMO. Because I know there's a lot of discussion about GMO crops. Go and search for the ones that are commercially available right now. People can go and buy seeds to grow because the list may not be as long as people think because people are saying, oh, how do I know? Well, there's only uh, you know a few crops that, uh, especially when we're talking about vegetables that currently are you know commercially available as a genetically modified crop or organism. Corn is one of the main ones. Uh, papaya is another one. So there's a few there that, you know, for our gardeners and people who do this as a hobby, just be, you know, aware that uh, you, it's a good question to sort of make sure that you answer when, when you're looking for it. But to summarize, if it's organic, it's by definition non-GMO, right? And so if you don't know, you can search and to see whether or not, you know, your particular crop that may not be organic, but you still want to grow it is a genetically modified crop. The differences between hybrids and heirlooms is that an heirloom is really basically a crop that hasn't been modified somehow by traditional breeding. And a lot of people like those things, those crops, you know, there's a lot of heirloom tomatoes. 
a hybrid, that's the, the, what it's different in an heirloom, is a crop that has been for different purposes improved somehow from its original form, right? So there's breeding, crossing that goes on between, you know, um, you know male and female uh, plants to generate a new daughter uh, plant that is what you buy when you buy hybrid seeds. Generally, they have certain traits that, you know, people are looking for. It can be size, it can be color, and there's so many other, you know, things that people are looking for when they're buying hybrids. So those are, you know, in general, and I know that a lot of people who listen are familiar with these terms and, and know a whole lot. Those people that are sort of beginning and really interested in growing, those are some of the things that I think you should be aware of. Well, thank you for explaining the difference uh, between the different types of seeds. One of the next questions would be then, where would be a good place to, to find these seeds? Do you have any suggestions on, you know, suppliers of these seeds? And then, of course, once we get them, the seeds and the soil, uh, what's the best way to store them? Yeah. In terms of where you can find them, you know, there's a lot of online seed companies, some of which are familiar to many of our listeners. Uh, Johnny Seeds comes to mind right now is one that has a large variety of seeds and you can order from them and they'll send them you know, right to your door. Of course, you, the local often garden stores that don't necessarily have to be you know, the recognized chains, even though you can find a lot of organic seeds and fairly good quality plants in many of these, you know, chains. But the, most places, a lot of places have a local feed and, you know, plant store. So buying from them is another thing that I would say to people, you know, you can sort of check out. When buying plants, whether it's plants or seeds, and I think we at least talked already about the differences between some of the seeds how do you know that seed is organic, for example, maybe um, haven't really talked about yet? If it's an organic seed, it will say organic on it, but that's still not you know, 100% insurance that it is. Um, look for the USDA organic seal on it and also a statement on the packet, on the seed packet that says certified organic buy. If it's indeed a seed that has been gone through the process, of organic certification, it will state who the certifier is. So look for that statement because it's very, very, very important to look for that. Once you buy those seeds, make sure that you keep them in a cool place. Keep in mind that seeds are alive. They're, they're alive. They're, they're a, a, you know, a living organism. They're you know, not necessarily growing yet because you haven't given them the right conditions, you know, water when you plant them. But so they're dormant. So you can keep seeds for a very, very, very long time under the right conditions. And most seed packets will tell you what is the best temperature to store them at. Cool place. Some people can keep them in, in depending on the seed, you know, in the freezer. You know, they shouldn't expire really, but it, it depends really where you're keeping them. The other things that if, you know, seeds are exposed to light, they, they can germinate. So that's another thing. And as soon as they get in contact with water, that will also trigger that germination. So with seeds, that's some of the things I think that you got to keep in mind. Plants, if you're buying seedlings, and I always recommend people to, you know, instead of direct seeding their garden, that they, if possible, you know, grow seedlings. You can even buy small trays. 
where you can grow your own seedlings. It's a lot better with many, many, many vegetables to plant that seeding, that small plant than direct seeding, especially if you're outside because, you know, the squirrels and the uh, birds, you're going to competing with them. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, we planted things directly in the soil to come back and not find a single plant because somebody came and decided to have a feast with those seeds. And so (laughs) that's another thing that I think you, you know, sort of got to be mindful of. Again, local feed and plant stores, you can find a lot of good seeds and and seedlings. Stores that that chains that everybody knows um, is where you can find seeds or in online, I was saying Johnny Seeds is, is a place that a lot of our farmers and even gardens, hobbyists, always go to. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there, of course. What about if you want to grow something that just grows, you know, as a perennial, meaning mm-hmm. that you can grow many, many seasons? Things like ginger, turmeric, uh, spinach, those can grow for many, many seasons. So those would be some of the things that also grow well in, in, in the summer. Definitely. And, and delicious as well. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on today. And we hope uh, that all of our listeners have more plants that they now know of that they can grow here in Florida. And uh, if you'd like more information about specific plants that do well in summer, uh, definitely, you know, look up those resources or reach out to us. We're happy to to help in any way that we can. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 